Everyone agrees that the nature of work, where, how, when, and why we work, changed fundamentally, profoundly, and perhaps irrevocably in 2020. We're not going back. This genie is out of the bottle, and new hybrid workplaces, diverse and dispersed workforces are, to coin a phrase, the new normal. What does this mean for communication, both internally and externally? How are communicators, those professionals, tasked with managing the message, the motivation, the impact, the marketing? How do they do their work in this new environment? Here to talk about that is Abby Fink, Vice President and General Manager of HMA Public Relations. How are you, Abby? What's on your mind? Well, thanks. Um, you know, I was scrolling through Facebook this morning, as I am known to do. And um, in my memories from two years ago today was a post that said, you know, we've been home for a couple weeks. We just need to kind of hang tight. Everybody take good care of yourself. You know, we'll, we'll be back to normal any day now. Just hold tight. And, and of course, we thought that, you know, back at the, you know, within six weeks or so of the take your work and go home for a bit. And as we know, that did not materialize, materialize as we had expected. And here we are, you know, two years um, later and we are new normal, as you said. And I think what's been most interesting from a communications perspective, A, as the business owner of a communications firm, as well as how I have been, you know, advising our clients is that a lot of the things that we really thought were going to be difficult to overcome. And I, and I'm not minimizing any of what's been happening, of course, but minim, but we, things in the workplace that were going to be difficult to overcome. How could we work from home? How could we have a hybrid workplace? We didn't even know what a hybrid workplace was. We, that word, that phrase did not really exist. And how are we going to continue to serve our clients, those of us that, that do that in the agency environment, as well as those that work in-house in a communications team? How are we going to do that? And what strikes me is we probably were the best ones to deal with that, right? We are communications professionals. We are trained to listen and evaluate and make recommendations and adjust and modify and all sorts of actions that have to be taken in order for messaging to make it through to our intended audience. And so we might have been, and I think continue to be the best place for these tasks to land is in with your communications team, not without its challenges, of course, but I think we are, we are best suited um, if nothing more than we are educated and trained to respond to the unknown when it presents itself. And now that we're in, you know, if we can comfortably say two years later, we're past some of these kind of things. A lot of our industry associations and, and industry publications, media outlets that cover the communications industry of really doing some interesting research to see where are we at now? What has been the impact of what the last two years has done what changes have we made in our workplaces? How have we adjusted and, and responded to that? And then what are we doing with that information to guide us forward? You know, it's, we, we're here now. We've had a benchmark. Now what is our 
our moving forward strategy now that we have this information. It's striking as an anthropologist who for many years, both in academia and then in, in field research, dealt with questions around culture that when it comes to the workforce and to the way that leaders relate to their people, this question of culture continues to be a top concern. And I think we've gone well past the place, and this is good in my view, we've gotten well past the place where we think culture means a foosball table and you know unlimited snacks. And we start to understand that the fabric of cultures is communication. And the way we communicate with each other, the conversation is the the atomic unit of culture <laughs> at some level. And um, of course, my academic friends are rolling their eyes at this point. But really, when it comes to the, the workplace itself, to deal with culture at work means to deal with the conversations, the communication that is happening all around us. And it doesn't much matter whether that is a Slack channel or a, an actual water cooler. Humans are going to communicate in whatever way that we can. It is our innate desire and unique ability to do so. So really the question now becomes for communicators, internal or external advisors to the leaders of the of the company, how do we face some of these new challenges and new opportunities? Let's just start with a quick rundown of what are some of these challenges. So the new phrases that we're now becoming more familiar with, hybrid workplace, deskless workers, that's interesting. We were never really talking about that before. What are some of the top challenges? And then let's talk about some ways communicators are dealing with them. Right. Well, Reagan Communications, which is one of the um, industry um, leaders that you know, does, does this type of research, publishes a lot of research, did a, a survey uh, towards the end of 2021, wrapped it up in early 2022, that really asked communications professionals these big questions. And one of them was, you know, what's the biggest challenge that we are facing in the upcoming year as it relates to culture. And really no surprise was this everything to do with the workplace and however our workplace is, how are we addressing that concept of culture? And you're absolutely right. It is no longer, you know, the, the, the fun room with the, you know, games and the, you know, half days of Fridays and whatever it is. And those things obviously can still exist, but if folks are not going into an office then those things become less and less important. So the what what we're seeing is and I'm I'm experiencing it in my own office is a much more intentional effort to communicate with your teams. So we don't have that passing by the office stopping in for a few minutes to say hello or I'm in the kitchen making coffee and you come in and we have a chance to get caught up. Those things aren't happening in the same way. So if I want to replicate that experience, I have to be very intentional about doing it. And so what we're doing and how we're doing it is really focused on making sure that we are meeting our employees and meeting our clients where they need to be and, by, and meet not as in a physical sense, but if they are conducting their business 100% in a virtual environment, then how am I going to make sure that I continue to manage their expectations, manage those relationships in that same environment? And you can do a lot of things, thanks. And we've talked about technology and what it's been able to do for us. A lot of things that we can do to continue that sense of culture and well-being amongst our teams and that translates to what we're doing with our clients as well. One of the biggest challenges I th is, is 
recognizing the difference in the workplace and the needs of the individuals. And I think there are, there are challenges to be met in the onboarding process. When you do bring on a new, a new employee to your team, how do you ensure that they feel like they're part of your team? If they have, especially now, if they're entering in a workplace that had been an in-person environment and is now not, where part of the staff has had years of hanging out with each other, how do they in, integrate into that? What are we doing as managers of communication to make sure that, we, that we're working in partnership with our uh, human resources teams and our uh, management to make sure that everyone has a sense of belonging, even if they're not in a physical space? And what does it look like and feel like for that employee that's coming in for the first time and meeting people on a flat screen with a microphone as opposed to sitting across the you know, the desk or sitting across the the kitchen table, the, you know, the conference room table with a chance to chat. So there's a lot of conversations and a lot of discussion about that much more intentional sense of communication with our workplace. This is one of those issues where I see also a huge opportunity in addition to the clear challenge of you know, how do you, how do you manage nonverbal communication? For example, how do you read body language? There's a, there's a variety of things that are real, real challenges for people to learn and grow together with. But the opportunity is that this has exposed many different types or categories of diversity in the workforce than we are accustomed to have been talking about. So specifically, what I mean is initiatives around diversity have rightly, for many years, focused on specific categories, race, gender identity, religious identity, things of that nature, things things that everyone is familiar with and assumes we mean when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, that needs to continue. We're not anywhere near done with those initiatives and really making the workplace a place where everyone belongs, everyone is treated well, everyone is treated fairly, etc. Having said that, what's exposed here is a, another set of diversities in um, the way in which people communicate. So, for example, taken for granted was the fact that stopping by the desk to chat with somebody was a welcome thing to do. And certainly I know there are many people who are so grateful that nobody can stop by their desk anymore. Right? They are now relieved of that burden of the extroverts of us bouncing around wanting to chat everybody up when they don't want that anymore trying to design communication practices that are now taking into account people's own communication preferences. How do they want to communicate? When do they want to communicate? What mode do they want to communicate? In a way, breaking up that face-to-face -face kind of physical in-person presence has given us an opportunity to think about some of these things in whole new ways. There's certainly been, for years, many personality type analysis, if you will. They're not really personality types, but, you know, people's leadership styles and communication styles and, you know, what color are you, red, green, blue, yellow, all of the things, right? And there's a chance now for some of that, those assessments, that self-awareness that comes from participating in those to inform the way teams communicate together, because you're not just stuck in the building 
together. And that means we have to address some of the nuances. I don't know what it's kind of random thought, but what do you what do you think about that? Well, and you know, the it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the Myers-Briggs and the DISC and some of those other assessments and and you know, when and we've all done them and we've all done them for a, a very intentional purpose, you know, we are in a, uh, embarking on a leadership development class and we're all going to figure out what groups we're going to be in and whatnot. And I've always felt that there was you know, I didn't learn anything new about myself. You know, I, I tried to cheat the system and figure out if I could fall into another category. And you just can't. You're just going to be whatever you're going to be in those things. But what I always learned and found valuable was recognizing the category that my colleagues fell in and how what I was how I was attempting to communicate with them needed to be on the way they heard it or needed it to come versus the way that I thought. And hopefully, con- conversely, they would be looking at it the same way. And so you, I, I, it's interesting that you would bring that up because I think that really has become, without necessarily putting, you know, the name to it, but that really has been something that we have done without maybe saying, oh, we're communicating with our introverts this way and our extroverts that way. But when you think about putting a, 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 a video call together and you've got six, eight, 10, 12 people on the, on the call, inevitably there are going to be some folks that don't turn their camera on. And it's because they're not comfortable in that sort of directed, everybody's looking at me kind of thing. I'll turn it on when I'm talking, but I don't need you to be looking at me while I'm just listening, right? Where if we were in the in a room together, they're going to be sitting across from the, and they can't hide. Now they're there and they're active and they're participating and they're putting comments in a chat box, but they're not making eye contact in the same way. And then there are others, and I'm one of them that are kind of, how come nobody's got their camera on? I want to see you. Well, so I, that that's my way of communicating, right? And so Thinking about that, I think really brings to to the forefront a lot of different ways that we're in maybe not even realizing how we're reacting to that. And we've always shared our calendars with our, you know, with our team. Everybody can see what everybody's doing. And, it, and when it, it really was to be able to schedule meetings for someone else, you know, I need to meet with you. I look at your calendar. I can plug something in. I don't have to call you and ask you which is still what it's being used for. But the other thing that it's doing now is I also can see when they aren't in a meeting. So I can pick up the phone and call where maybe I would just, if we were in the office, I might've just sent an email because I know they'll eventually see it. So it's, I'm their access to information is a, in a different way now. And I get text messages from some of my team. I get phone calls from others. I get emails from others. And some want to pop on to a video chat. Others would just as soon never look at, you know, and and so um, a very interesting dynamic that's happening and all of which, you know, enters into this, you know, decision making. How are we in, in making sure our teams are cohesive, working well together, feeling like they're part of the organization, that their contributions are valued and in whatever way is the best way for them to feel and communicate with us. We need to adjust accordingly. Not to dwell on this too much longer, because I know we got another, uh, a few more topics to cover, but I'm really, really in this moment, just as we're sitting here getting goosebumps, because I'm sort of struck by this opportunity and what a rich opportunity it is. You said specifically 
there's so much more data available. And this is true. To flip the example on its head, I can remember for years and years and years going to in-person events, conferences, uh, industry events, things of that nature, and wishing that there was some sort of data overlay. Because the the downside of those in-person events is you're in a room of 500 people you might be one conversation away from changing the future of your business, but you don't know who to have that conversation with because all you see are people's heads and faces and stuff. And if there was some sort of, you know, Terminator kind of thing, like a overlay heads up display that would read. So you look at somebody and hovering next to them was a little bit of information about them, you know, the LinkedIn profile type stuff. But what I'm now thinking would be so great is if teams and communicators could certainly lead on this, had some sort of way of saying, listen, here's what we all know about each other. And putting together those, you know, whether it's so-and-so prefers to be on email between these hours. And I mean, it gets sort of mundane, but it gets into some interesting stuff. And, and, and then we can actually communicate with people the way they want to be communicated with, which is very different from, I think, some of those early concerns about remote work, which were coming from a place of, well, how do we monitor our employees and know they're actually doing their job? I think we're past that, or at least we've answered the, the, that question to a certain degree, and now we're in the realm of what can we create if creativity and communication were at the forefront of our leadership culture? Anyway, I'm just I'm excited about that. Yeah, I hope we are past the monitoring my employees that work from home stage. The the truth is, you know, and anecdotally, I guess, because I I think we are more productive. Um, we have more opportunity. We have we've removed a lot of the distractions of the of a regular work day by, you know, being able to be at home and, and, you know, stay focused. And, and, and I, I, I just had a conversation with a, with a college student who is doing a a story for one of her classes on sort of work-life balance and what does that look like now? And, you know, I've been saying this for, you know, the last handful of months that the work-life balance has actually been a little bit more achievable in spite of the fact that my work and my life are all in the same place now, but I can, I can shut down the office, quote unquote office, a lot easier now than I could when I actually drove to a physical location. Because what would happen is I'd go to the office, I'd do the daily work that I would do there, client meetings, whatever it would be, go to the networking events, come home, open up the computer and spend another three or four hours. Where now that part of my day is not being spent back on the computer. It is being spent in in a little bit more meaningful ways. And some of that has to be, again, an intentional effort to do it. But, you know, the the dynamics that we're operating in right now, and and you know, I'm I'm based on where I'm coming from, small business owner ability to work in a at an at home environment, there are certainly businesses that that doesn't work for. And some folk, some businesses adjusted much better than others. And, and again, I am not here to say this is the, the perfect solution, but the, those of us that have the ability to do this and can continue to do the work that we're doing, owe it to ourselves to give it the opportunity to be successful. And, but without sacrificing those same things that we would do had we been in our offices and we still have to, you know, celebrate the birthdays, recognize the anniversaries, um, create 
the atmosphere and the culture that, you know, would exist if we were in the office. You know, we were a take your dog to work office. Okay, well, every now and again, you're going to see my little dog poke her head into the Zoom chat because I took my dog to work again. So, you know, we need to we need to respect those kinds of things and and then think about how that impacts the rest of the work that we're doing and the other kinds of issues that are circulating around us. You mentioned, you know, DE&I, we've got, we are still grappling with social justice and, and the impact that that's having in the workplace. We've spoken before about our do good philosophies and what, what businesses are doing from a um, community outreach and really walking the walk and talking the talk about how, you know, the, the things that are important to them and the things that they stand for. Those don't change. You know, the the need to do those things don't change whether we are, you know, going into an office or we are going to our, you know, kitchen table to work. And business leaders and um, those of us that interact with teams who recognize that and what each of us is bringing to the table will succeed because they are honoring, you know, the individuals they have in their team and what they're bringing, you know, to the conversation um, all the time. With all the opportunities, there are a number of challenges, and some of them are significant. So it's interesting, in the survey that you cited, when they asked communicators, again, internal and external, what was their biggest challenge? Everyone still said that not having enough staff and not having enough budget were the, you know, those kind of traditional complaints that we all have had about trying to get a good job done. But those are no longer the top two. They've slid down. And the one that comes in by far and away as the biggest challenge is too many last minute requests. So we are now in a world where the instant communication, the email, the Slack channel, the whatever it is, email is far and away the way that people are communicating still. But the expectation is now that people should be able to respond quickly because a message was sent quickly. This is a problem. This is what professional communicators identify as the number one thing standing in their way of doing a more effective job at communicating on behalf of the organization. What are your thoughts about that? How should leaders, uh, whether at the C-suite level or the director or, or, or below, how should they address and meet this challenge of their communicators getting too many last minute requests? Well, and, it, and, and the last minute requests that are because of a lack of planning, I think is where that, you know, if we want to read into it a little bit more and we, you know, your communications team, whether internal or external, should always be a part of decision making at your company. They are, they are there for that purpose, to guide, to offer recommendations, to play um, the devil's advocate, to be the objective voice in the conversation, to, to challenge decisions for the betterment of the organization. That is what we are, are tasked to, to, to do. We are significantly more successful at that effort when we are part of earlier, you know, early conversations. When decisions have been made and we are looped in at that point, there is not much we can do to modify or change or adjust. We are simply reacting to the circumstances that are there. There's no avoiding last minute requests. I mean, the nature of our business will oftentimes lead to, oh my goodness, we need this and we needed it yesterday. Okay, that's fine. We can respond to that. But the, the, the lack of planning 
that leads to last minute requests is where you will find the least amount of success in that effort. And so, you know, the, and, and there may be a lot of reasons for those last minute requests, but what, you know, we will always encourage demand to the extent that we can is loop us in as early as you can, right? If we, if we are there with you in all these conversations, we can do our best to anticipate those things that might be coming down the pike. And we are still okay that there might be some things we can't adjust for or plan for. But if you don't get us involved in the strategic decision-making, we are, we are coming to the, to that place with unprepared and not enough information. And our best bet is to be part of your team and part of those discussions from the very beginning. And if we can help guide the planning process, if we can help create some of that strategy, help you set goals, how are we going to reach those? What are some of the steps to approve the efforts? What is getting in the way of our own success? That's where you you maximize your communications team is when they're part of that and can guide it off to a different direction. And there was an interesting uh, addendum or additional insight that was carried along with this finding in the survey that this is one of the things holding communicators back. And that is the fact that most communicators admitted, well, I don't know about most, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it, it, was, it was a sizable percentage, admitted that they weren't necessarily doing the best job at using communication metrics to make the case for having a seat at the table. So clearly responsibility here goes in in both directions. Certainly business leaders, your communicators are some of the smartest people in the room when it comes to thinking about the implications of different initiatives, different messaging, treat them as a sounding board, not just as a megaphone. That's that's clear. We can we can all accept that. But there's also flipping the the um the challenge around, we could say communicators, figure out how to use some of the things you're really good at when it comes to measuring media impact or other, you know, effectiveness of campaigns and use them to make the case for why you should have a seat at the table. That's easier said than done, I I think I will admit, because measuring uh, that kind of data requires a whole different set of skills. But there's an opportunity there. What do you think? Yeah, totally agree. You know, the 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 number, you know, the question we often get asked is, you know, what's going to be my return on the investment? You know, all right, I'm willing, I, I believe in what you do. I want you, we've got a budget, but how am I going to know you're going to be successful? And if we are, we have questions we have to ask back in, in some categories, you know, what, you know, we get sales will increase or this will happen or we'll move this or do that. But we need to know what, is a success measure for the organization that we're supporting and and then develop strategy to help them reach that goal. And, you know, our metrics have changed over the years as well. You know, we used to talk about, you know, number of column inches or so many stories or however. Well, that's those those things are still important, but they are not the measure of our ability to do the work that we're doing. We want, you know, is the message getting through to the right people? Is it in the right place? is it the right message in the first place? And did it help the organization reach its business goals? And all of those are what has to come into play in terms of the metrics that you use for your, your communications you know, teams. But you're absolutely right in that we have to have a deeper understanding of what is 
the measurement of success from the organizational perspective and then the role that we play as communicators, how it will impact those particular line items. And again, that means everybody coming together at the same time in order to, to have those discussions is what you don't want is the sales team going out and saying, you know, we're, we're successful when we sell a million pieces and we need a brochure from the marketing department so that we can sell a million pieces. Well, that isn't going to get you there. We'll give you the brochure, but you need to have, we have to have some other strategies, you know, around that. When it comes to efficacy and, and impact, this is where channel-specific strategies also become very, very important. I mean, again, this data and every other survey that talks about corporate communications or small business team communications identifies email as the predominant channel. And there's people who love that, people who despise that. I mean, but email is not going anywhere. It is still the preferred messaging channel for internal communications and also to a certain degree for marketing. If you think about building up an email list, proprietary, you know, first party data, you want to be able to communicate directly with your customers. Having an email list uh, is, is important there as well. What's intriguing here as we wrap this up is looking at what's happening to social media. Social media is being viewed by communicators as the most effective channel for external communication. And yet everyone admits that social media usage has been in a sharp drop in recent years. We've done a number of episodes of the podcast on different aspects of social media from specific platforms to general strategies and things of that nature. What's interesting is watching this shift happen in real time. Those of us who were active uh, on the internet, you know, in the early to mid 2000s saw the beginning of the boom of social media. I'm not saying it's going away, but we are in a bit of a unknown because usage goes down, effectiveness is going down, advertising costs on these platforms are going up. It's unclear what the future of social media is in corporate communications. What do you think about that? Well, and I think that the up and down of social media is there's two sides to the to that equation. It's it's consumer use of social media for the purpose of engaging with a brand. And then there's the one on one personal communication. You know, I'm still using social media in it to connect with friends that has not changed my interaction as the me to the brands has changed. And I'm, you know, we're, we, we become, um, we become more sophisticated the more we use these things, you know, the email we now, we know can look at an email address and know it's spam. You know, we just know it by the way it looks and how it comes across. We can spot a typo in a spam email and just know that we're not clicking on anything. Well, we didn't know that before. It took us time to be able to figure that out. And I think the same thing is happening with social media as as its ability to be very specific in its targeting and marketers have an incredibly more powerful tool at their disposal and with retargeting and some of the other things that social media does. Consumers are getting as savvy with it, with it as well. And we, there's a lot of, on how that works and how we target and why we target and, and what you can do as the consumer. But I, it, it, it will never go away. Usage, I think, changes. And, and I, I would argue that it's up or down might be a, a, a strange way to evaluate it. I think how we're engaging with it might be a better analysis and that, you know, my 
My days on social media are very client focused. It is on their behalf. It is what they are asking, you know, and what the campaigns that we've developed. It's less about Abby personally on social during, at least during the workday. Abby that pops onto Facebook or Twitter first thing in the morning or last thing at the end of the day is a very different engagement than what my interactions are, you know, during the work, the workday. So I'm not sure I want to talk about it in terms of social media usage is down. I just think it's, it's shifting as consumers take back a little bit of the control of how they're, you know, how they're interacting with it. We'll never be rid of email much, much as I would like to, you know, there, I, I, there are days when I just would like to turn the whole thing off and just, you know, be, be without, but you can't do that. Um, we're using other messaging apps, you know, to communicate. And again, that goes back to, what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast about meeting people where they're at and this text messaging or WhatsApp or any other of the number of ways that we can, you know, communicate. But if we're, if we take the study here and we look at some of the statistics and we, you know, evaluate and put our own, you know, thoughts into it, in the bottom line is and has always been, we need to recognize our, what is our messaging? Who are we trying to reach? And what's the best way to get them? And whether that's employee teams, whether that's externally to colleagues, whether that's customer focused, whatever that might be, a strong message and a plan to get it in there into the hands of the people that need to and taking advantage of all of the tactics that we have available to do that and being smart about the, the decisions we make about how we're doing that and when we're doing that. And that's where we will continue to focus on our workplaces, focus on the culture of our workplace, make decisions um, for and on behalf of the organizations that we work with that move their messages forward. 